Jeremiah tonight. We started Jeremiah last week. We finished the book of Isaiah last week, and I know that many of you had um, Thanksgiving, whether it was preparing you know, things the night before or um, uh, just things that were happening in your lives, traveling or whatever. Uh, but last week we had to finish the book of Isaiah, and then now we're starting uh, the book of Jeremiah. So if you missed it last week, you can always uh, download or watch the previous episodes. John and uh, um, the guys in the back always make sure that the things are online. Uh, so you can just look it up on either the, the app or on the, the website or uh, the YouTube uh, page for Calvary Chapel. Uh, Jeremiah starts out like this. It says, The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah in the thirteenth year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, a king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive, in the fifth month. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. And so father tonight, as we approach these uh, sacred texts to see that not only did you choose and use uh, Jeremiah before he was even born, uh, but you do that with each and every single one of us. And we're so grateful that you see not only uh, the unborn, but you also see uh, the future of those same unborn. And in a country where even tonight that's being decided uh, in our own country about the, the laws that are in place. Lord, we ask for, for wisdom for the Supreme Court. We ask for wisdom for our um, uh, government officials, Lord. We ask for wisdom for the leadership in our communities, Lord. We ask that you would just bring about an amazing uh, revival in our country, Lord. And it all starts with this topic. And it's hard to talk about sometimes because uh, just the politicizing of everything. And, and so, Lord, please help us to be bold. Uh, help us to be uh, uh, gracious in our speech, loving in our speech, but to be bold in how we present it, Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you that your word is true, uh, even from a pre-birth, Lord, that you have your eye upon us and that you use us. And so tonight, as we walk through this difficult subject, these difficult subjects that we're going to see in the book of Jeremiah, help us to see that your hand was there. Even, you know, 2,500 years ago, 2,700 years ago, uh, when this was written, Lord, uh, it's still applicable to our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Last week, we, we talked about the intro to Jeremiah, and we see here that Jeremiah is just a youth when God calls him. He's, whether it's a, a, a teenager or a, a, you know, in his early 20s, uh, he's still considered a youth by those that are in his community, in his sphere of influence. He is still considered a 
young boy or a young whippersnapper or a preacher boy, you know. He's just starting out. And unfortunately, just like the book of Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah starts out very differently than the book of Isaiah does. Because in the book of Isaiah, it starts out with the holiness of God, seeing God in all of his perfection, where in the book of Jeremiah, we start out with the sinfulness of people, uh, them and their depravity. And we're going to see it right away. Uh, and it's not for the squeamish. It's not for the, the people that, you know, want to shy away or, or, you know, act like nothing is going on. Because just like in our nation today, uh, Jeremiah lived in a nation where people blatantly sinned without any shame whatsoever, without any uh, blushing. In fact, they were proud that they would uh, sin. Of course, the excuse that Jeremiah has, and we talked about this last week also, was that he couldn't speak. Have you ever made excuses when God calls you to do something? Oh, yeah, all the time, right? We're, we're good at excuses. We're, we're good at, you know, saying, well, I'll, I'll do that later. I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that when I have more resources. Or I'll do that when I have more time. Or I'll do that when I'm retired. <laughs> and, of course, we all know when we're going to be retired. Never. <laughs> it's just one of those things that constantly gets postponed in our lives. And it's the same thing when we serve God. But of course, God doesn't give any excuses. Verse seven, it says, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth for you shall go to all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And just like what Jesus says to his apostles, just like what Jesus says to us, he'll give us the words at the perfect time. He'll give us the right words to say at the right time. You see, Jeremiah, as he's going through these things, the idea is that he's surrendering to the will of God. The perfect place for every single one of us to be. The center of the will of God. And, and Jeremiah is going to face dangers that none of the other prophets are going to have to face. Isaiah got to live in the upper echelon of the society. We talked about last week the Daniel. He's going to get to live, uh, to live in the upper echelon of the Babylonian uh, society, right? He's going to get to talk to kings and queens. He's going to get to talk to people that are in the upper echelons of the Babylonian society. Ezekiel, he's going to get to be with the people that are there on the river Kibar in the land of Babylon. Jeremiah gets to live with those that have been rejected. The riffraff, the poor, all that's left in Jerusalem, the people that are literally starving to death, that are behind these walls that are surrounded by the Babylonian army. And so Jeremiah, he gets to see firsthand what it means to go through some of the hardest times ever in the nation of Israel's history, ever. And just like what Kat was saying, he's going to say, repent, repent, repent. But he's also going to see the presence of God in the most dire of circumstances. And many times uh, when things are going good for us, it's easy to forget spiritual things. It's easy to for forget God. 
But in those times where everything feels like it's coming down upon us, as it will happen in the life of Jeremiah, where's the only place that we can look? All around us, there's problems. What's the only way to look? It's up. Look up at the Lord, our God. It continues on there in verse 9. And just like with Moses, when Moses made this same exact excuse, saying, I can't speak. Verse 9, God to Jeremiah does much the same thing. He says, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set this day over the nations, over the kingdoms, to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. And moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. I don't know if you've ever uh, been to, I mean, we have I'm literally thousands upon thousands of almond trees here in Kern County. But it's amazing to watch a, an almond tree bloom uh, where, where literally it's completely covered with all those flowers. And then what happens to all the flowers? It's not on very long, by the way. They all fall off. And then what's left over? These fuzzy uh, seed pods, right? They don't even look like almonds. It's it just covered with this fuzz. And then after a while, that fuzz starts to peel off, right? And then what's underneath it? The almond. And if you've ever bitten into a fresh almond, it literally is milky. It literally has lots of, you know, that, that juice inside of that almond. Not, not the dried almonds, but, you know, that fresh almond. And, of course, you know, that's why we have almond milk, which is so popular uh, nowadays, this almond tree, this branch from the almond tree, Jeremiah sees this. And then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform this word. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot and it is facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They shall come and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Jer Judah. I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness because they have forsaken me burned incense to other gods, and worshiped the works of their own hands. You put yourself in Jeremiah's place, and it starts out with the other utter dregs of society. Literally, in the very first chapter, the very first vision that Jeremiah sees, what does he see? Destruction. Where the enemies are literally going to be planting their thrones right at the entrance of Jerusalem. They're going to be surrounding the city of Jerusalem with their armies. Can you imagine that? Why, why can't I be like Isaiah and get to go into the very throne room of God? Why, why can't I be like one of the other prophets who got to, you know, do all these wonderful miracles? In Jeremiah, 
It's all going to be lamentation. It's going to be weeping. It's going to be horrific times. Have you ever been envious of another person's spiritual gifts? <clears throat> oh, that, that person sings really well. Or, or that person teaches really well. Or, or that person has this particular gift. Uh, do you know that every single person who is saved has a spiritual gift? You know that, right? According to the Bible. And of course, it's the Holy Spirit that divvies those out. Whether it's the gift of administration, which you know is a spiritual gift according to the scriptures, or the gift of teaching, which is a spiritual gift according to uh, the scriptures, or the gift of helps, or the gift of service, or the gift of hospitality, or the gift of evangelism. All these various gifts. And every single one of us that is a Christian has the privilege of using their gifts for the glory of God, to edify and build up the church. And Jeremiah was given a gift. He had to be a prophet in one of the worst times in the history of Israel's existence. Can you imagine that? And he had to use his talents, his gifts during that time. And he couldn't run. He couldn't turn tail and run. He had to endure through the hardest times. And so God is telling him these things. And by the way, he has to tell it to the people that are living in the city at this time. Verses 17 through 19, it says, Therefore prepare yourself and arise, and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar. This youth, this young man, this young prophet, what is God saying? I'm going to be your strength in the hardest times in the history of Israel. And it's through the eyes of Jeremiah where we get to see, unlike any of the other books of the Bible, we get to see what happens during the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Firsthand, through the eyes of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the lamenting prophet, for behold, I made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. If God is on your side, who can stand against you? And of course, it's when the rubber hits the road, when the hard times come, that we see the mighty hand of God uh, working. Now, who are the people that are going to be fighting against Jeremiah? According to these verses, according to verse 18, who are the ones that are going to be fighting against Jeremiah the most? The people of Judah, the, the people of Jerusalem, they're the ones that are going to be arguing with Jeremiah. They're going to be the ones that come against Jeremiah literally face to face. They're going to be the ones that are going to be saying, no, what you're saying is not true. It can't be true. Our God is a God of love. He's going to forgive us again, just like he's always done every single time that we've ever sinned. 
Jeremiah has to give the hard message. Because you haven't repented, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. But God will give Jeremiah boldness despite his age. He'll give him courage despite his youth. Chapter 2. Again, it's hard. And, and, and if you've ever read the book of Jeremiah, you probably have, you know, a couple of verses. And we, we talked about this again last week also. But we love those verses that have hope. But most of the time we don't read the parts where the hope is important. Because when is hope the most worthwhile? When is hope the most important in your life? When the times are going bad, in the worst times of life, that's when we say, Jeremiah chapter 29, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, right? Plan for your good to profit you, for your future and a hope, right? Or Lamentations chapter 3, where we see in that amazing book, right in the middle, despite all the things that are going on, God is going to give about a perfect message. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I again have hope, right? The Lord's loving kindnesses are new every single morning. His mercies never fail. Those are the times in the hardest times of life when you are at your worst, when you are at your rock bottom. That's when God reaches out and he gives you hope. And if any of you have ever been in a situation like that, you know that. Those are when those verses speak the loudest in our lives. Chapter 2 of Jeremiah, it starts out with this hard hitting. And by the way, every single one of these prophecies are going to be against the city of Jerusalem. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. When you went after me in the wilderness, in the land not sown, Israel was holiness to the Lord. The first fruits of his increase, all that devour him, will offend. Disaster will come upon them says uh, the Lord, when the nation of Israel first started out, they loved God with all their hearts. But la that lasted one day. That lasted just a very short time. And then what happened when they hit the Red Sea? The very first obstacle, by the way. They've only been out of e Egypt for a very short time. What happens when they hit the Red Sea? Let's go back. What are you doing taking us out of Egypt? Who are you to be our leader, Moses? They start complaining right away. And then, of course, when they're wandering out in the wilderness, what do they do? They complain. There's no water, God. There's no food, God. And what does God do every single time? Despite the fact that he did 10 amazing miracles in Egypt, God gives them over and over and over and blesses them. And God could have wiped them out at any time in the wilderness wanderings. In fact, God almost did at one time, right? When Moses was walking down from Mount Sinai, carrying those Ten Commandments 
What did he see there in the valley? The people are dancing around a golden calf, right? They're worshiping this calf that they had made out of all their, you know, jewelry that they had gotten from Egypt, by the way. And Aaron makes this golden calf. And what does God say? I'm going to destroy them and start all over with you, Moses. Do you understand the patience of God throughout the centuries, literally? And now Jeremiah comes along and he has to say these hard things to the people of Israel. You were holiness to God. You were supposed to be the God's righteousness on this earth. You were supposed to be the blessings of God to the nations. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, it says this. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Isn't that an amazing position to be in? Out of all the nations on the planet, who did God choose to be his special treasure? The Israelites, the people of Israel. That's who he chose. But then what happened over time? They rejected God. God never rejected them, but they rejected God. In fact, so much, and by the way, in these next sections, it gets very, very graphic. It gets extremely graphic, the detail of the description of what they have done. Verse 4, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what injustice have your fathers found in me? That they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters. Neither did they say, where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and a shadow of death, uh, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt. I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. What was the promised land called? What was the description of what it was supposed to look like? It was supposed to be a land flowing with milk and honey, right? This beautiful land, the promised land that God had given to Abraham some 400 years before. And now the people are walking into this land. And what's the first thing that they do? According to the scriptures, they start complaining. They defile it. They were supposed to not only be pure in their walk with God, but unfortunately they don't with the other nations. We'll see as we, we walk through what happens. But it starts not with the common people, but with the religious people. Because what do the religious people do? The priests, the ones that are supposed to be holy to the Lord, the ones that are supposed to be the examples what does it say in verse 8? The priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, and they walked after things that do not profit. There's this mixed religion that's going on. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. 
and you got nothing. Instead of preaching the pure word of God, what do they do? They mix it with the religions of the land, with their neighbors. And of course, God had told them that they were supposed to remove all the people from uh, the land. But unfortunately, in verses 9 and 10, it gets even worse. Therefore, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children, I will bring charges. For pass beyond the coasts of Cyprus and see Syndicadar and consider diligently and see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods, but my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Normally, a nation is proud of their, their heritage, their spiritual heritage. They have these gods, whether it's the Egyptian gods or whether it's the Philistine gods or whether it's the gods of the Moabites and the Ammonites. They had their gods and they were proud of them. But what about the Israelites? Were they proud of their God? No. They weren't proud that he had brought them out of Egypt. In fact, instead, what do they do? They forsake their God. And throughout the history of Israel, whether it was during the time of Elijah or the, during the time of Elisha or during the time of throughout the prophets, they rejected their God. Now, of course, yes, thank God that there was times of revival where the people remembered uh, God. But those, of course, were short-lived. Short you understand the patience of God? And it's easy to criticize Israel. It's always easy to criticize the people in the Bible. But do you understand the Bible is a mirror? We too can do exactly the same thing. What are they doing? And, and this is, by the way, the description that we see here, changing their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And they've hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What's the first thing that they have done? They rejected living water. They rejected life itself. And of course, in the Old Testament, we see that the God gives living water. And in the New Testament, who is it that offers living water? You all know the answer. Jesus Christ. Remember the woman at the well. That, that woman who came out in the middle of the afternoon when it was hot because she was ashamed of who she was. And she meets Jesus. And what does Jesus offer to her? Living water. Something that will give you eternal life. Jesus Christ himself. So they, they rejected the living water, but what have they done instead of the living water? They, they've made these broken vessels, these cisterns, as it says here, pots where you would store water. And normally if you store water, whether it's in a, a pot or a jug or, or something in your house, maybe a, 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 you know, a jar or something like that, a, a container for water, what happens if even there's a small prick in that uh, container? What happens? 
it drips. I went shopping uh, probably like three or four days ago, and I didn't notice this, but as I'm walking out of the Walmart, having all the, you know, groceries in this, uh, uh, you know, uh, stroller or this cart, uh, and I see this trail of white coming out of one of the containers, the milk jug, and I had accidentally pricked it. I don't know how or when I did it, but I saw this, literally this stream coming out, and so I had to turn it on its side really quickly. Why? What would have happened by the time I had gotten home if I hadn't turned it on its side? Yeah, I would have stained my, you know, all the seats in my the van, right? It would have been all gone. And it's the same thing with anything that's broken, whether it's a mug, whether it's something that you like. When it's cracked, when it becomes broken, is it worth anything anymore? What happens to the liquid inside? Flows out. And this is what the people of Israel has become. Broken vessels that cannot hold anything anymore spiritually. They've exchanged the living water for broken vessels that cannot hold any water at all. Let alone living water. Verse 14, is Israel a servant? Is he a homeborn slave? Why is he plundered? The young lions roared at him and growled. They made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. Also the people of Noph and Tephanes have broken the crown of your head. Have you not brought this on yourself in that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you in uh, the way? You see, the privilege that we have is knowing that God walks with us. And he shows us the way, whether it's from Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, what? Want. And he leads us to green pastures. He leads us to uh, rivers that are flowing, that are supposed to be clean. But what happens when we wander off? Is it the shepherd's fault that you wander off? No. Whose fault is it? The sheep, right? They choose to go off. And then what happens to that sheep? It gets lost. And then what does the shepherd do? And thank God we got a good shepherd. We don't got a shepherd that just leaves the one behind. What does the good shepherd do? He goes after the 99. Now, a lot of these words here, they're, they're, they're kind of hard to pronounce and and they're kind of, you know, uh, obscure to us, you know, especially uh, living here in, in America, living in California, living in Kern County. But it's just like, you know, cities in our area, right? You know, you go to someone that may have been here for a couple of months or, or visiting, and you try to describe Kern County to them. Imagine that, you know, all the different little towns that we have, the suburbs of Bakersfield and Kern County. Oh, I was just up in Tehachapi or Lamont or Arvin or Fraser Park or, uh, you know, Lost Hills or Oildale or all these places, right? And you, you try to describe them to them, you know, have someone try to, you know, pronounce Tehachapi for the first time. 
you understand exactly the same way the people that were living at this time knew these places they could pronounce these places <laughs> they they knew where these places were and so as we go through these various places you understand that this is meant for the people living at this time because they understand what's going on and hopefully we'll get a, a little glimpse of this as we walk through it together it says in verse 17 have you not brought this on yourself in that you have forsaken the Lord your God. Whose fault is it? God lays it right at their feet. No holds barred. Whose fault is it? It's not God's fault. It's not your neighbor's fault. It's not someone else's fault. Whose fault is it? It's their fault for choosing the sin. It's their fault. And it's the same thing with us, by the way. Is it easy for us to blame other people? Blame our parents. Blame a friend. They didn't warn me. They didn't tell me. No. Whose fault is it? It's our fault for choosing the sin. The warnings are there. Verse 18, I know this is hard to hear. Verse 18, and now why take the road to Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor? And why take the road to Assyria? to drink the waters of the river. Both of these places were exotic places. Egypt was to the south. Assyria was to the east. Both of these places had roads that interconnected within the nation of Israel. Uh, they, they had roads, trading routes that would come from the east. They would meet up at the coastal roads where Jerusalem was at, where the city or the nation of Israel was at that would go north-south, that would connect not only the northern kingdoms in the north, to the southern kingdoms in northern Africa. that This major area where Israel was perfectly put by God, the promised land was supposed to be a profitable place for the people of Israel. But what has happened instead? They rejected it. They've defiled it. They've made it worse. As it says in verse 19, your own wickedness will correct you. And your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God. And the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. Do you know where the scariest place to be is? Outside of the will of God. No longer fearing the Lord God. And by the way, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Because it's going to get even worse. And you think, oh, this is, this is hard talk from God. This is, is this actually in the Bible? It gets worse. You see, Jeremiah, despite the fact that he's young, he has to present the truth in all of its unadulterated glory. He has to present it in black and white. There's no beating around the bush in the book of Jeremiah. It must be presented clearly. Verse 20, for of old I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds. And you said, I will not transgress. How many of us have ever said that? When on every high hill and under every green tree you lay down and you play the harlot. I'll never sin again, God. 
just save me this one time, okay? And I'll never do that. I'll never lie. I'll never, you know, have deceit. I'll, I'll never, you know, boast or brag or backbite. I'll, I'll, I'll never hate anyone ever again. I'll never do that again, God. But what do the nation of Israel do? They make the promise. They make it even worse. Verse 21, yet I have planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before you, says the Lord. You use the wrong soap to take off something that has stained you. Something that has stained your life. Now, of course, we know that, you know, the blood of Jesus Christ removes all sin from our lives. But how are they trying to get rid of their sin? By their own means. Something that they've concocted. Something that they have made up. Well, if I just do this, then God will somehow forgive me. If I just don't do that, then God will have to forgive me. But instead, what does it say here? You're just like a vine. You're just like a plant that's supposed to be beautiful, that's supposed to have good fruit, juicy fruit on it. But instead, you're just something that's wild, that's good for nothing. It's just meant to be burned up. Do you guys know what lie is, by the way? Not, not L-I-E. But L-Y-E. Do you guys know what lie is? It's very, very caustic. Not, not in terms of it costs a lot, but it, it can burn. But it's not an acid. It's a base. It's the opposite of an acid. And it's used for normally in like leather. It's made to, you know, cause the, the leather to be cured. It's made in, in a lot of older soaps, by the way. Uh, before all the chemicals and before all the perfumes and everything like that. And, and this lye was literally used as a caustic material to burn away the top layer of skin. Uh, to, to burn away all the things that, you know, whether a person was working with oil or a person was working with dyes or something like that. It was meant to be able to remove. But in doing so, it would could literally burn the skin. And if it was left on too long, it could cause burns that were very, very severe uh, to the person that was being washed by them. They're trying to remove their sins in the wrong way. Or, verse 23, and by the way, each and every single one of these uh, paragraphs gets worse and worse. How can you say, I am not polluted? I have not gone after the Baals. See your way to the valley. Know what you have done. You are a swift dromedary, breaking loose in her ways. Now, th this is a, you know, the King James Version of saying, you're just a big old camel in heat. Can you picture that? The, the noise that that would make. The smell of this wild dromedary, this camel that's in heat. 
And every single male camel wants to, you know, charge after her. I'm trying to be, you know, uh, not go too deep into it. But you see what the scriptures are saying here. Do you smell it? Do you see it? Do you hear it? This is what you're acting like. This is what he's saying about the people of Israel. By the way, the, the word Baals, and we've seen it several times, and we, we talked about it when we were in the book of, of Israel uh, too. The, this, was, this word literally means master. This is the God that uh, much of the uh, people that lived in this region worshipped. And he was a very severe God. He was called master. And then he had a female counterpart called the Ashtoreth. And the Ashtoreths, they were meant for um, prostitution. And literally in their worship, they would have these, these harlots, as we're going to see, these prostitutes that were there. And, and people would pay to go into these prostitutes as a form of worship, as a form of worship. And it drew and it tempted the people of Israel. Or the next thing, and, and again, use your senses here, verse 24, a wild donkey used to the wilderness that sniffs at the wind in her desire, in her time of mating, who can turn her away? The, the drive is so deep in a, you know, a natural creature for procreation, for mating, right? This is what you are like, Israel. You're just a horny animal. That's all you are. Or, as it continues on here, all those who seek her will not weary themselves in her month. They will find her. Withhold your foot from being unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said, there is no hope. No for I have loved aliens, and after them I will go. They've mixed their religion with other religions. They say there is no hope for this. Yes, David. As we saw earlier, they were the ones that were leading them into this sin. As we saw earlier, yes. And that's why Jeremiah has to go again. In fact, later on, we're going to see that Jeremiah has to go up with the high priest. And he has to say right to his face, you are wrong. You're wrong. It just in, they had the title. Yeah, they had the title. Uh, and in fact, if you go back to the previous verses, you can see uh, at the beginning of chapter 2 uh, that it's the priest that initiated this. You see, the picture here is of a wild dromedary or a wild camel a female camel in heat, and a wild donkey, mad with lust. They vividly portray not only the nation of Israel, but people like, you know, we see around us. Many, sometimes us even. Oh, oh I had to do it. It's just who I am. It's part of my makeup. I was born this way, right? We hear all the excuses, unfortunately. But God says, come out of that. And he's going to give us hope, by the way. Leaving nature now, it, again, it's going to get worse. Verse 26, no longer looking at nature, but now looking at human nature. 
as the thief is ashamed when he is found out, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets, just like what David was talking about earlier, it started with the upper echelon. Not, not just the, you know, the, the political realm, the kings and the princes, but also the spiritual realm as well, the prophets and the priests. Saying to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone, you gave birth to me. For they have turned their back to me and not their face, but in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. These inanimate objects. And again, it's easy to condemn, you know, that was the archaic time. That was 2,700 years ago. They were backwards. They, you know, did all these things. But, you know, we understand that we also do many of the same things. We just hold it on our hands and make it more technologically advanced, right? Make it prettier. But it still leads us astray. It gives us the wrong information. And many times it cannot save us. Verse 28, but where are your gods that you made for yourselves? Let them arise. If they can save you in the time of your trouble, for according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. Oh, this is hard to hear. You want, you want to worship those gods? Let them save you, right? That's what God's saying. You know, where, where's the loving God? Where's the Savior? Where's the one who's supposed to be nice to us all the time? And again, God has been gracious to them over the many, many, many centuries. But now God is bringing judgment to the people. And Jeremiah has to deliver it. Jeremiah has to be the one that tells them these things. Guess what? You understand that you look around us now, even today. And what do we see? Prophecy is being fulfilled all around us. The, the things that are in the scriptures, the prophetic word of God is coming true even today. The writing is on the wall. The tree that, you know, Jesus talked about, the fig tree that showed those signs of having fruit that should have had fruit. The prophecies are coming true today. Is the Lord coming back soon? According to the scriptures, yes, he is. By the way, you can either look forward to it or you can fear it. Verse 28, but where are your gods that you've made for yourselves? Let them arise. By the way, who was the creator in the gods that they worshiped? Who was the creator of those gods? Them, right? Them. They're the ones that designed their gods. They're the ones that designed their idols. They're the ones that designed whether it's a, a tree or whether it's a stone or whether it's some sort of precious metal. They're the ones that designed that God. They created that God and then they fall down and they worship it. How absurd is that? Where the privilege that we have, of course, is that we serve the one who created us. And of course, I know you guys know that as well. Verse 29, will you plead with me? You all have transgressed against me, said the Lord. In vain I have chastened your children. They received no correction. Your sword has devoured 
your prophets like a destroying lion. O generation, see the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of darkness? Why do my people say, we are lords, we will come no more to you? So not only have they rejected God, but now what do they say about themselves? We're gods. We're the ones that should be worshipped. You should be obeying us, God. You should be listening to us. You should be obeying our will instead of us obeying your will. It's a dangerous place when we start demanding things from God. Very dangerous. When we tell God what to do, rather than asking, rather than submitting to the will of God. It's a dangerous place to be. Or as it says in verse 32, can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. I don't know about you guys, but you probably have a, a wedding album if you're married. And, and, you know, I don't know the last time you actually opened it. But, but when you open it, what do you see right there at the very beginning? Maybe it's on the front page or maybe it's on the very first part. Maybe you've saved your wedding dress and you put it in some sort of a, you know, a plastic shrink wrap or something like that to protect it, right? Or maybe it's a dress from, you know, when you were young or from a grandma or a grandpa. It's just for display. It's just for remembrance, right? You know, unless you're able to fit into it again, I, I don't want to go into that thing. But, but you understand what it means. It's for remembrance. It, it's for something that you remember back to and it produces within you a sense of joy or it's supposed to produce within you a sense of joy. You were once this beautiful, young, skinny couple, right? <clears throat> you understand, right? It's, it's for remembrance. But what has happened? My people have forgotten. They've forgotten what it was like. Do all of us need to be remembered? Our, our first day, we fell in love with Jesus Christ. When you became saved, what was it like to be in love with Jesus? And what has happened over the years, unfortunately? Is it easy to become uh, calloused to the love of God? What is God going to do? God will give them over to their worthless gods and their proud hearts. Verses 33 and 34, and again, it gets worse and worse. Why do you beautify your way to seek love? Therefore, you also taught the wicked woman your ways. Also on your skirts is found the blood of the lives of the poor innocents. I have not found in it by secret search, but plainly on all these things. What is it saying? And again, this is King James Version. New King James Version. But what is it saying? You're able to teach the prostitute their tricks. 
Isn't that scary? In fact, throughout the scriptures, we see the comparison. And if you go to the book of Lamentations, chapter 4, verse 6, even in, again, written by Jeremiah, Lamentations was, was the other book that Jeremiah wrote. It says, the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. What is he saying? What's the comparison here? You sinned worse than Sodom. You sinned worse than Gomorrah. And they had fire poured down from God in an instant. And they were destroyed. And you have played the harlot. You have gone after other gods. And I've been patient with you for centuries, hundreds and hundreds of years. And you ponder, why, God, all of a sudden, now you're punishing me? When God has been patient with them throughout the millennia. Or in, in Ezekiel chapter 16. And by the way, when we get to Ezekiel, there's two chapters here that are literally banned by uh, the, the priest, the Jewish priest to be read in public. And one of these chapters is chapter 16. And it is so descriptive, so uh, debased in the way that Israel is described. We'll just read a couple of verses here. It says that your elder sister is Samaria who dwells with her daughters in the north of you. And your younger sister who dwells in the south of you is Sodom and her uh, daughters. Remember that Abraham... Uh, it was Lot who was the nephew of Abraham who dwelt in Sodom. Related to Abraham, by the way, you did not walk in their ways nor act according to their abominations, but as if that were too little, you became more corrupt than they in all their ways. You out Sodom. You out Gomorrah. I mean, what a label to have. Or as I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Skipping ahead to verse 52 there, it says, you who judged your sisters bear your own shame also because the sins which you committed were more abominable than theirs. You judged them. You said, oh, they're horrible people. But what's going to happen to the nation of Israel? They are more righteous than you, yes. Be disgraced also and bear your own shame because you justified your sisters. And by the way, it's easy to judge Israel. But God will have to apologize to Sodom if he doesn't judge America too, right? It's easy to look at other nations and say, oh, those were the Israelites and be even racist against them. Like many people have throughout the centuries. Rather than looking at yourself. Rather than looking at our own nation. At our own sin. We need to pray for our country. It comes down to verse 35 and 36. It says, but you say, because I am innocent. Surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead my case against you because you say I have not sinned. Why do you gad about so much to change your way? 
also you shall be ashamed of Egypt as you were ashamed of Assyria. Indeed, you will go forth from him with your hands on your head, for the Lord has rejected your trusted allies, and you shall not prosper in them. This word gad, it's kind of a, an archaic word. It's only found in this one uh, verse in the whole Bible. Uh, I had no idea what it meant. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys know how uh, what it means, but it's literally this archaic word that says, a glutton who turns from one food to another, but's never satisfied. They're, they're constantly gorging themselves, but they are never satisfied with the food that they have. They constantly complain, but yet they eat. Yet they eat it. And they go from one dish to the next. It's like a buffet of food or a buffet of sin. I found this in one of the uh, uh, people that I was looking at in terms of a, a commentary. It's not really a commentary, just a, a sermon about this chapter. It says, some might consider Jeremiah the model of faithfulness, while others might think of him as an example of failure or futility. He served as God's prophet for over 40 years. Yet the rulers and the people of Judah did not listen to his warning. Jeremiah was put in prison, thrown into a well, taken to Egypt against his will. He was not allowed to marry. He was rejected by his friends, neighbors, family, the false prophets, and the, the priests and the kings. Jeremiah stood alone in his call for the people to repent and turn to God. He warned them time and time again of their impeding punishment. And even though much of what he prophesied came true during his ministry, the people and the leaders continued to ignore him. Yet through all the hardship and the humiliation he was forced to endure, Jeremiah remained obedient and faithful to God. Although at first he questioned God's calling, once he accepted his position, he became a model of perseverance and devotion. And after enduring decades of abuse, threats, and outright indifference, Jeremiah could have easily turned his back and walked away. But he knew that was exactly the problem God had told him to warn the people about. The people had turned away from God's will. And Jeremiah was not about to do the same. Some may look back on their own ministry and consider it a failure because the people did not respond to the call. When in reality, life has a glorious success because Jeremiah remained faithful to his God despite the lack of fruit. He may not have seen immediate results, but his struggle to obey God in a world that had turned wholesale away from its creator had inspired generations of believers that read the book of Jeremiah even today. Today is the first Wednesday of the month. We get to take communion together. And you may look at your life even now and say, well, I don't see any fruits. I, I don't see any, you know, profit for what I'm doing. Is God faithful in your life? 
Maybe you've prayed for someone to come to the Lord for years and years and years. Keep being faithful. Maybe you've shared with someone uh, for months or years or weeks or days. Keep being faithful. God is faithful when he calls you to do something. And if he's called you to do it, there's a reason why. And he will reveal that to you in the perfect uh, time. In, in our church, we, we offer communion to anyone that is a believer. You don't have to be a member because there is no membership. Uh, you just have to know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. So as I, I read the, this next section, I ask that you would, you know, just there's four different stations. Just go to one, just grab um, a, 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 a communion cup there. There'll be a wafer in the top and, and, and juice on the bottom. And normally we go to the book of, of Matthew to learn about communion. And, and I love that passage. But tonight, the Lord just wanted me to go to 1 Corinthians this time. And the reason why is because it ties in so well with Jeremiah here. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Since you have come together, not for the better, but for the worst. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. This is what the people of Corinth were doing. They were coming together. Those that were rich would come first because they didn't have to work. They had transportation. They could come to church and, and they would fellowship and they would have fun and they would eat the supper together. They would have communion together. And then those that were poor, those that were the slaves, those that were the, you know, people that actually had to work for a living, that had to walk to church or walk to the synagogue or walk to the temple, they would come in late. There was nothing left for them. And Paul is saying, you're supposed to be these spiritual people with all these spiritual gifts and look how you're acting at something that's supposed to be a remembrance, not of you, not of fellowship, not of the church, but of me, of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. In fact, the judgment, and this, of course, ties into Jeremiah, skipping ahead to verse 27 there of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So tonight, before we even take this cup, before we even go to the next section, let's examine ourselves tonight. Is there any sin or iniquity in your life? And the privilege is we can repent right now. 
We can ask the Lord to forgive us right now. We, we can take this in a worthy manner if we approach it in such a way. Maybe there's someone that you know that you've offended, or maybe there's someone that you know that you've sinned against. Uh, maybe there's something in your life that you need to remove. Ask the Lord to forgive you now. I want to give you a, a couple of minutes just to uh, quietly uh, reflect on these things, to, to ask the Lord to forgive you of these things. Uh, just take your time and ask the Lord, you know, Lord, there's reveal to me what is hindering me from you tonight. What, what may be uh, obscuring my sight of you or my relationship with you tonight? And ask the Lord to forgive you. And it continues on there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Again, to the same people. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And the privilege that we have is to take this corporately with one another tonight. We get the privilege of remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. You see, it says there in verse 24, And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't do it for the person next to you. Don't do it for, you know, a pastor. Do it in remembering what Jesus Christ did uh, for you. This is his body. Take, eat. Remember what he did for you. Then in verse 25, it says, In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. How many times have we broken the commandments? How many times have we broken the covenant with God? How many times have we promised God something and then went back on our vows, went back on our promises? But did God always, always be faithful to us? And the remembrance of this cup that we get to take tonight is of the new covenant. Because the new covenant isn't in the, you know, the blood of a bull or a sheep or, or something that was done in the Old Testament. But what is the seal, the perfection of the new covenant in the New Testament? It's in the blood of Jesus Christ. His shed blood uh, for us. So as it says there, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we get to partake of this together.
then it ends this way. For as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Not just remembering what Jesus Christ did for us in communion, but looking forward to when he comes again. And we can celebrate with him at the bride's uh, lamb, uh, the marriage supper of the lamb. There's an amazing uh, hymn, and we, we always get to sing hymns when we have communion on Wednesday night. And, and again, it, it takes us back to the book of Jeremiah, and it's it, very simple. It just says, what a friend we have in Jesus. And so if you wouldn't mind, please stand as we sing this together and end our night together. In the deepest, direst of situations, who's there with you? Just like with Jeremiah. God was with him every single step of the way. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge, take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake you, take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield you, you will find a solace there. And so, Father, I thank you for these, my friends and my family, you know, these people that, that come faithfully, whether they're online or, or whether they're here physically. Lord, I ask that you bless them tonight. And in the most dire situations of our lives, when, when it feels like everything is crashing around us, Lord, help us to turn to you, to know that you are there, that you are present even in the most problematic of times, even the most pressing of times, even the most troublesome of times, even the most dire of situations, you are there. And so, Lord, help us to come to you. Help us to seek you first. Help us to desire to know you intimately, Lord. That instead of going after the things that leave us wanting or the things that are temporary in this world, that we would seek after something that's eternal, that's lasting, that goes on and on and truly satisfies us, Lord. Lord, we thank you for a night of communion where we can remember what you have done for us 
and we can look forward to when you come back to deliver us from this world, Lord. We thank you for being there every single step of the way, for carrying us through the hard times. Lord, we love you. I ask you bless these, my friends. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you.